You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Three, two, one... But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Man, Kirk Herbstreit is five, on the phone. Five, eight, 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 I hope everybody is having a great day. I hope everybody's ready for just an off-the-wall episode of the Air Tour Sports Podcast. So much to get into, a lot to discuss. Uh, we're going to get into all the normal stuff that I would normally talk about, but uh, did you see your boy J.J. Redick came back at me again on Wednesday, okay? So we had the dust-up a few weeks ago. J.J. Redick came at me, said some inappropriate things, called me some inappropriate names. A lot of you sent me the clip, DM'd it to me, tagged me on Twitter. Uh, yes, I have a lot of thoughts that I will share here. Uh, also, Kyle Tucker, The Athletic, just a total... I don't even know what to say about him. He got involved. I squashed him like a little bug on Twitter. We'll discuss that. Then we'll get to some normal topics, okay? Because I do want to talk about kind of a post-mortem from the Final Four. I had a very interesting conversation with Sean Farnham on his radio show on Thursday morning about the idea that college basketball might actually be in a better place now than it has been in a long time with the NIL, with the one-time transfer rule, all that. So I will discuss that. From there, we will take a quick break, come back. I will get you caught up on some of the big transfer portal news. I told you, this is what this show is going to be for the next month, month and a half. But Arkansas picks up two big-time commitments. Kentucky loses Bryce Hopkins to the transfer portal. Other news and notes, Juwan Gary leaves Alabama. So a lot to discuss, a lot to conversate about. Uh, but very quickly, it's not even the topic of the day. I would say let's get into the topic of the day, but this isn't really the topic of the day, but it's kind of the topic of the day. But your boy, J.J. Redick. Just out of nowhere, just came right back at me two weeks after he and I got into a back and forth on social media. And so a couple things, I'm going to set up what J.J. Reddick said, how this all started, give you some context. But before I do, I want to give you one quick warning. I tell you sometimes when this kind of stuff happens, but uh, J.J. Reddick called me some names that are not really appropriate for a family-friendly podcast like this. So if you are in the car with some kids, if you're I don't know, at a family barbecue listening to, however you're listening. If there are young, impressionable minds, I just warn you that the language is about to get inappropriate for about the next five to 10 minutes. I encourage you to maybe fast forward uh, and then you, we can come back and we'll have the normal college basketball, college football, transfer portal conversation, etc. 
But here is the J.J. Redick deal and the update from a few weeks ago. If you remember a few weeks ago, I was watching the Houston Villanova Elite Eight game. And during that game, so I'll readily admit, it was not a very good game. It was a very tough watch. I say that as somebody who loves college basketball, but I also understand that in a win-or-go-home one-game situation with two of the best defensive teams in college basketball, sometimes the product's not going to be great. You get Arizona-Gonzaga with those two offenses in the Elite Eight, it's probably going to be an awesome product. You get Villanova and Houston in the Elite Eight, Final Four on the line, two great defenses. Villanova plays one of the slowest tempos in college basketball. I think we all knew it wasn't going to be a 94-91 final score. So during the game, you know how college basketball works. People that are NBA fans, they kind of just come on in really quickly, check out the college game. And while the game was going on, I saw all the regular NBA people doing all the complaining about how college basketball is unwatchable and the product is so terrible and all this stuff that these guys and girls that love the NBA always say. And so in seeing that, I said something that at the time felt pretty innocuous. I'm just kind of setting up what happened, okay? So I tweeted out something, and I was getting ready for my radio show. I wasn't even paying attention. But this is what I tweeted about that game in that moment. This is what I said. I said, I love all the arguments I'm seeing today about the quality of play in college hoops or the product or whatever. Trust me, if NBA teams played for 48 minutes of defense like Houston and Nova are tonight, we'd see a lot of games in the 70s and 80s in that league as well. Didn't think that was controversial. Already explained it on a previous podcast. I wasn't saying that NBA teams don't play defense. I wasn't saying that I love college basketball because they try so much harder. I understand the quality of play is better in the NBA uh, than college basketball by far. I understand the skill level as high as it's ever been. But at the same time, I would also readily admit that the NBA rules, the way they are set up, are in favor of the offense. No different than the NFL. Everything's in favor of the quarterbacks, the wide receivers, scoring, offense, big plays, etc. And it's no different in the NBA. And so I tweeted that out, didn't think anything of it. And like an hour later, I come back on social media and my phone is blowing up. I have all of NBA media on my ass. I got all NBA media up my you know what. Um, and JJ Reddick comes in and basically is like, well, let me tell you. Hey, tell me you don't know the NBA if you tell me you don't watch the NBA without watching, telling me you watch the NBA. And so I talked about it on the next show, whatever, blah, blah, and I thought it was done. And then Wednesday happens, and I'm sitting there, and I'm doing my Torres thing on a Wednesday. I was actually doing some transfer portal stuff, trying to put together who's in the portal, who are the best players, who's committed, all that good stuff. And my phone just starts blowing up, okay? My phone explodes. Like, I have probably within... I don't know, 10 minutes, I have 15 or 20 texts. Did you see what J.J. Reddick said? Did you see what J.J. Reddick said? Did you see what J.J. Reddick said? J.J. Reddick's talking about you. And in my head, I'm like, oh my God, here we go again. And the one thing with me is, I'm like, I got stuff to do. I don't have time to go back and forth with some washed up NBA player. No disrespect, he's a legend, blah, 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 whatever. I don't have time to go back and forth with this NBA dude for the next, like, you know, two days. And I don't have time to get NBA Twitter on my ass, and I say this, da, 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 da. So anyway... Eventually, I do watch the video, and I got to say, this is really, really, really compelling stuff, okay? So this is what J.J. Reddick said about me, about your buddy Aaron Torres that you tune in to listen to, Uh, and I will warn you one more time, there is some inappropriate language. He does call me a name that I would not encourage you to call others, Uh, but this is what J.J. Reddick said about my original tweet talking about the difference between college basketball and the NBA. He goes, first off, 
first of all, the shot clock's longer, so there's going to be more possessions in an NBA game, and there's eight more minutes of basketball, so fuckhead, that's not possible. In other words, talking about the difference between the college game, the NBA game, offense, all that stuff. So he says, first of all, it's a math equation. The shot clock's longer, so there's going to be more possessions in, in an NBA game, and there's eight more minutes of basketball, so fuckhead, that's not possible. Secondly, what he doesn't understand, now he's talking about me, you watch college basketball, man, I'm like, these guys have not evolved in their philosophy since the 1980s, 1990s, it's ridiculous. Same sets, same sets that I used to run, that I used to watch growing up, that Kansas used to run, I'm like, bro, do you know why it's so hard to play defense in the NBA? It's not because we can't, it's because we don't try. It's because there's no fucking space, and the player, it's because there is space, fucking space, and the players are so good. So in conclusion couple things. One, J.J. Reddick called me a fuckhead. Eh, it's okay. I get called worse all the time. Two, again, he completely missed my point. It was not about nobody playing on defense or trying on defense. It was about the rules. And three, I just fundamentally disagree with what he said. You heard what he said. It's a math equation. The, the scoring would be higher. In other words, there wouldn't be games in the 70s and 80s. The scoring would be higher because there's eight more minutes. It's a 24-second shot clock. There's more possessions. Well, you're right, JJ. You're right. It is a simple math equation. There are more possessions, and there are more eight total more minutes in the game. I get all that. That was never my point. My point was never the quality of play is whatever, blah, blah, blah. Here's what JJ Redick doesn't get, though. I'm right because it, all it comes down to, all you have to simply do, this is what this is what makes me so this is what makes me laugh about this. If you want to argue about quality of play of basketball, this, that, the other thing, whatever, quality of play of NBA versus college, whatever. I would not argue for one second that the quality of play in the NBA is better, that the skill set is better. That's why they're professionals. At the same time, what he does not understand, all he's got to do is a simple Google search. JJ Reddick came into the NBA in 2006. Once he came into the NBA, as he came into the NBA, the rules were changing with every advantage going to the offensive player. So for me to say that if teams in the NBA were allowed to play like Houston and Villanova, games would be scored in the 70s or 80s. There'd be more of them. I didn't say no one would ever break 100 points. I said there would be more games played in the 70s and 80s. That is factually correct. Because if you just go back... You don't have to be a basketball scholar. You don't have to be a mathematician like J.J. Reddick says. All you got to do is use this thing called Google and go back and look at the playoff scores from the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. I always joke, that incredible, memorable Michael Jordan, Byron Russell walk off the floor. Michael Jordan wins a championship in 1998. Do you know what the final score of that 1998 NBA Finals game is? Keep in mind, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, John Stockton, Carl Malone. We are talking about the greatest players in the history of the sport. The final score of that game was 87-86. What did I say? There'd be games in the 80s. Oh my God, that's so controversial. It's a math equation according to J.J. Redick, except for the fact that it's actually a history equation, J.J. Redick. Just do a Google search. Just do a Google search. You came into the NBA at a point that the rules changed all in advantage of the players and of the offensive player. But if, to my point, you could defend like Houston and Villanova, the scores would be lower. By the way, you know how I know that's for sure? And I already talked about it, and I'm sorry for repeating myself. 
But when a former NBA player calls you a fuckhead on national TV and puts you on the spot, he didn't call me on national TV, on a podcast, whatever. When he puts you on the spot, you got to respond, okay? And so, hey, fuckhead J.J. Redick, here's the scoop. And by the way, I apologize for swearing, but when someone calls you a name, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but you call me a name, I'm going to call you a name. I'm sorry. Anyway, J.J. Redick, here's the scoop, okay? As I said on an episode about three weeks ago, when this all started, 2005, the NBA hand check rule got put into place. Again, essentially, you can't put your hands all over a guy on the perimeter, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to waste everybody's time going through the history of it. But you know why they put that, you know why they put that rule in? You know why they changed that rule? It was because offense was non-existent. I already gave you the scores, but I'm going to give it to you one more time. The year before they changed the defensive rules in favor of the offensive player, here were the final scores in the NBA Finals between the Lakers and the Pistons with multiple Hall of Famers. Kobe Bryant, Shaquille O'Neal, Karl Malone, Gary Payton, Ben Wallace, Rip Hamilton, if he's not in the Hall of Fame, he will be in at some point. Here are the final scores, J.J. Redick. I know you don't use Google. I know you're so much smarter than everybody. 87-75 was the score in game one. 99-91 was the score in game two, which went to overtime. 88-68 was the score in game three. 89-80 was the score in game four. And 100-87 was the score of game five in a clinching scenario. So let's do some math. I know J.J. Reddick said it's a math equation. Well, correct me if I'm wrong. And by the way, please, someone feel free to Google this and confirm it for me. I believe they played 48 minutes in 2004. I believe they played 12-minute quarters in 2004. I believe the shot clock was 24 seconds, allowing for the same number of possessions that you could have had in 2004 as you have in 2022. The year before the hand check rule, three games The winner scored in the 80s. Forget the loser. The winner scored in the 80s, and the other two, one went into overtime, and the other one was a clinching game when the Lakers gave up. So again, I apologize, fuckhead J.J. Redick, but here is the truth. Just go back and use Google, and you will see that before they changed the defensive rules, the scores were in the 80s, 90s, and 70s. That is not my opinion. That is, unless Google is wrong, that is a fact. I would take it a step further because I've heard from NBA people. Well, you're just using the 2004 NBA Finals. That's an extreme example. Detroit was one of the best defensive teams ever. Okay, cool. Here's my question, though. You're using Houston Villanova to tell me how bad college basketball is. That's a one-game sample size. Like I said, put on Gonzaga. Put on Arizona. Tell me how Arizona TCU was. That game was awesome. Put on uh, Arizona-UCLA from, the, from the, the Pac-12 tournament. That game was awesome. So if I'm going to use Detroit as a sample size, you've got to use the same small sample size. You're criticizing college basketball. Why am I not allowed to use one specific example, but you are allowed to use one specific example? The other thing, which was kind of J.J. Reddick's point, J.J. Reddick said, well, bro, the skill level has never been higher. I don't disagree with that. What I would also say is it goes back to what I said the first time all of this came up two weeks ago. I will not argue that the skill level is higher. At the same time, because the rules have changed, the skill level has to be higher. I'm not saying that nobody plays defense. I'm not saying that nobody tries, and I love college basketball because they play so hard and it's for the good of the game. No. But at the same time, 
you can't build a team like the 1990s New York Knicks in 2022 or the bad boy Pistons in 2022 or even the early 2000s Pistons in 2022. The rules have changed. They don't allow you to do that. So when you tell me the skill level is so much higher, it is because the skill level has to be higher. It is because of the fact that if if you don't have players that can make plays, if everything isn't offensively driven, you can't win in this league right now, okay? I'm not going to get into the weeds on the NBA, but what's the biggest story in the NBA right now? It's that the Los Angeles Lakers are not in the NBA playoffs. And you know why the Lakers aren't in the playoffs? It's not just because they don't it's not just because they have injuries. It's not just because uh, you know, LeBron sat out the last couple weeks and Anthony Davis isn't healthy and all that stuff. They're not a very skilled basketball team. They are a team that's old. They're a team that gets a bunch of twos. And this is a world now where in the NBA in 2022, you have to have skill and you have to be able to shoot. And so when I look at this Lakers team, you know what I see? I see a guy in Russell Westbrook that can't hit an open three. I see a guy in Anthony Davis that's banged up. He's in another lineup, whatever. And so the reason the Lakers struggled, the reason the Lakers, they don't have a modern team. They don't have a team like the Suns that basically plays four out around DeAndre Ayton. They don't have a team like the Warriors. They don't have a team like the Brooklyn Nets with Kevin Durant who's seven foot one and can hit a wide open three or a contested three for that matter. By the way, Kevin Durant's the best player on the planet. Whatever. I don't even know why, that, why I said that. But that, that's the point is people say, well, the skill levels, it, it has to be. That's the only way to compete. You can't build a team entirely around defense. So I don't know why this is so complicated. Uh, apparently J.J. Redick is mad. I don't know if it's about Coach K, if he's upset. You know, Coach K driving off in the cart with Mickey. I don't know what it is. What I would just tell you is this is pretty straightforward. This isn't really that complicated. What this comes down to is I was right. He never understood the original tweet, and he's been calling me a you-know-what ever since. So, J.J. Redick, the invite is open. I know you won't do it, but you're welcome to come on and debate me. It seems pretty straightforward to me. I know it's a math equation. I know I'm a fuckhead. I know I don't understand that there's 48 minutes in an NBA game and a 24-second shot clock. I get all that. What you don't seem to understand, before you got into the NBA, the rules were different. If the rules were the same now, guess what would happen? A lot of games that look like what we saw in the 90s and 2000s. (laughs) Really quick, before we transition to actual basketball talk, um, on top of the J.J. Reddick stuff... Did you see this loser, Kyle Tucker, chirping at me? And, and, and I'll be honest, I got more mad about the Kyle Tucker element of this than J.J. Redick. And for people who don't even know who Kyle Tucker is, and I got a lot of that. So Kyle Tucker is a, I guess he's a beat writer. He works for The Athletic. Uh, he, he mostly covers Kentucky, but it seems like he's doing other stuff now. I don't know. And the reason I don't know is because he blocked me. And so about four or five years ago, every time I would tweet something, he would chirp, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know this. You don't know that. And so finally one day I was like, bro, like what's your problem? And I made fun of him and I roasted him and everybody enjoyed it. And the dude blocked me. And so I'll be honest, I don't really give the guy much mind. I don't really care. He's allowed to live in his little bubble. He disagrees with me. Um, you know, me, much like this J.J. Reddick stuff, I am open for debate. I disagree with J.J. Reddick. I'm not going to block him because I disagree. But this guy apparently disagreed. And then he got mad because I had the audacity to call him out. And so he blocked me. And so I bring all of this up for one simple reason. It is because I'm going about my day. I'm ignoring the J.J. Reddick stuff. I got other stuff going on in my world. I'm ranking the transfer portal, baby. 
Transfer portal is like my favorite time of year. And as I'm doing it, somebody tags me on a tweet like, you know, by the way, I want to give this guy a shout out. I won't say his last name. I don't know if he wants it put out there. But some guy named Jake tags me on a tweet. And Jake says, there will be no Aaron Torres slander in my timeline. There will be no Aaron Torres slander in my timeline. And so I said, Jake, well, what is this? What, what, what just happened? And so somebody sends me a screenshot of his tweet because, again, he blocked me. I cannot see him. And people were like, oh, Torres, just let it go. Why? He was t- – so, so to backtrack. So he has me blocked. I don't know what's going on. Jake tags me on this tweet. There will be no Aaron Torres slander in my timeline. Love you, Jake. Respect you, Jake. I love you guys that listen to this podcast, guys and girls. And in the tweet, Kyle Tucker quote tweets the J.J. Reddick video that went out online. And in that, says, this is about Aaron Torres, and it's freaking hysterical. And normally, I wouldn't care that somebody's talking about me. J.J. Reddick, who is much more important than Kyle Tucker or me, by the way. I don't care that J.J. Reddick talked about me. Why do I care that J.J. Reddick talked about me? You know, I don't care. It's whatever. Everyone's allowed to an opinion, whatever. But this dude has the audacity to block me. Because he didn't like when I actually came back at him. And then he has the audacity to still talk about me behind my back. And so I went on Twitter and I was like, look, I don't really care about J.J. Reddick calling me an F-head because now we're back to I'm not going to swear. But can you imagine being as big of a loser as Kyle Tucker blocking somebody because you disagree with them and then on top of that still talking about them behind his back? My whole thing is you want to talk about me, talk about me. People talk about me all the time. I really don't care. But at least let me see what you're saying about me. And if you can't see what I'm saying about you, or what, if, if I can't see what you're saying about me, then guess what? I'm going to chirp back at you. And so I put out a tweet. I said something about, I don't really care that J.J. Reddick called me a fuckhead. And excuse my language, but I'm using J.J. Reddick terms again. He said it, not me. But I said, can you imagine being as big of a loser as Kyle Tucker talking about me behind my back, <laughs> but it's also while I'm blocked. I'm like, what, what is this guy's deal? And so you guys and girls got a huge kick out of it. So again, this is a Kentucky beat writer, whatever. He doesn't like me. And then I find out that he literally has blocked half of the internet. I must have had 20 responses in which it just said, oh, he blocked me. Oh, he blocked me. Oh, I said something political and he blocked me. Oh, he blocked me. And then here's the funny part. A couple of you other guys tweeted at him saying, I support Torres and he blocked you guys too. So J.J. Reddick, I don't really care. He called me a fuckhead. I disagree. But Kyle Tucker, bro, I can't even, like at least J.J. Reddick, you know, the, the, the mentions are open. J.J. Reddick's ready to spar. But Kyle Tucker, you, sir, are a freaking loser. And if you want to talk about me just like J.J. Reddick, you're welcome to come on the podcast. I don't really know why you don't like me. I don't know what I said that offended you. But you're welcome to come on anytime you want. I'm happy to do it. I'm a nice guy. DMs are open, this is open, that's open. But if you dislike me and you want to block me, don't then talk about me behind my back or I'm going to come at you. And some of you are like, well, just settle it between the two of you. How can I settle it? He's got me blocked. I can't get in touch with him even if I wanted to. So Kyle Tucker, you know where to find me. These podcast streets, come join me. We'll talk some Kentucky basketball. And we'll do all other sorts of good stuff. All right, so what I want to do, I want to take a quick break. I do want to come back. Somehow just turned 20 minutes in from, you know, J.J. Reddick into 20 minutes of podcast content. Uh, I'll be back. We'll talk a little bit about why I actually think college basketball is in a better place 
than maybe it's been in a very long time. Then we'll talk some transfer portal stuff. I will be right back. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Do want to switch gears here. By the way, apologize for some of the language that came out in that last segment. I mean, you know, JJ Reddick just saying all sorts of mean things about me, so I had to respond. Um, but I do apologize about the language. But with that said, I think we can move on. And what I would say about kind of today's show, where I actually was planning on leading the show pre-JJ Reddick and pre, uh, pre-other guy over there, Kyle Tucker, where I was planning on leading the show was actually with kind of the state of college basketball, right? Because, um, you know, obviously this is really really the first the first episode before the since the national championship game I know I recorded on Tuesday right after the national championship game but that was really a reaction to the national championship game that was a conversation about what happened on the court on Monday night with Kansas and North Carolina but at the same time as we remove ourselves from that national championship game I figured what we would do is kind of do like a 30,000 foot view of where we are in college basketball because I think we all really enjoyed that tournament first real NCAA tournament we've had since 2019 we all loved it we all had a blast and I think the big question now becomes what is next for college basketball and is there some way to build some momentum off of this and so I was thinking about that question And I also thought about it as it pertained to a conversation that I had earlier Thursday with my buddy Sean Farnham, ESPN. You've heard him on this show before. Uh, But I went on Sean Farnham's radio show, and we had a really interesting conversation that I thought would be fun for this podcast, especially on a day like today. And it is kind of the state of college basketball. And what I told Sean, and what I truly believe, and what we're going to talk about over the next couple minutes, I truly do believe that college basketball right now as a sport, is healthier than it's ever been in a really, really, really long time. And I know that sounds like college basketball homer guy. That's exactly the guy that J.J. Reddick claims that I am. But give me a second to explain, and before I even do, let me be very clear. It's not to say that the sport doesn't have warts. It's not to say that the sport doesn't have things to work on. It's not to say that this sport is perfect. Obviously, the leadership at the top with Mark Emmert isn't great. Some of the rules, while good, have unintended consequences. Uh, I actually, the the transfer, I think, has overall been good, but it has had negative consequences with, uh, you know, high school players not getting as many opportunities, with some kids ending up in the portal without a scholarship. So it's not as though this sport is perfect. To be abundantly clear, let's get that out of the way, this sport is not perfect. I would say, by the way, no sport is perfect. The NFL is a cash cow that has all sorts of problems. They're in the middle of a racial discrimination lawsuit. You know, they have all, uh, they got they got problems just like everybody else. The NBA, their, their stars don't go on the court. They can't stay healthy. They're missing games. So every sport has some kind of issues, and it's not to say that college basketball is perfect. At the same time, though, like I said, I do believe that it's in a better place now than it has been in a while, and I believe that it has benefited from NIL and, and the transfer portal more than we ever could have imagined. Let me explain. Back in the day with college basketball, and you guys are all fans, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. It really was about a five, six-week sport. The, the thing that people say about college basketball now, it really was true about five, six years ago. It was a, 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 a seasonal sport. You come in for the tournament. You have a blast. And then once the season ends, nothing really happens. You just kind of move on. You move on to baseball. You move on to golf. You move on to the Masters, whatever. And then you come back in the fall and you you start to kind of evaluate your team and the sport and all that good stuff. Um, And there would be the occasional McDonald's All-American would commit or whatever. But for the most part, there was really no news at all in college basketball. 
And I believe that those two top, those two changes that I just mentioned, NIL and the transfer portal, have changed this sport forever, have changed it in a positive way, net positive, and it has created more interest in this sport, especially in the offseason, especially away from the, the March Madness NCAA Tournament Final Four National Championship game than I can ever remember. Let's start with the transfer portal because this thing has been transformative. And we're going to talk about specifics from the transfer portal here in a minute when I go through the transfer portal stuff. But at the same time, what I would also say is just in the bigger picture, the transfer portal has just changed everything in college basketball. Even as recently as a year or two ago, you could kind of get away without being in the portal and every once in a while you might go tab a transfer. But for the most part, Certain schools love the transfers, Eric Musselman at Nevada, Fred Hoiberg when he was at Iowa State, but for the most part, you built through high school players, you built through one-and-dones, you built through developing players, whatever. And then the one-time transfer rule comes in, and then all of a sudden, everybody has to have a presence in the portal. And so because of it, I believe the portal has now made April and May in many ways more interesting than a good majority of the season, right? You watch your team, you love your team, you, you see what they're good at, you see what they're not good at, and then all of a sudden you start thinking, oh man, I wonder who we can get in the portal. Oh man, we don't really have a point guard that can make plays. We gotta go get somebody in the portal. We don't have rim protection. We don't have three-point shooting. Who's gonna be available in the portal? And then April and May is all about kind of guys moving on from your program and who can your program get? And so I believe this has been the gr- one of the greatest things that's ever happened to college basketball because it has created so much more interest. And to be clear, I'm not sitting here and saying that this is necessarily a super national talking point. I'm not saying that SportsCenter is going to lead in May with a kid that committed to Kentucky or a kid that committed to Duke or a kid that committed to Arkansas or Texas or Texas A&M or whatever. But at the same time, the interest in this stuff, I cannot tell you. It is through the roof. I run collegebasketballtransfers.com with Zach Kroll and some of my interns. The number of page views that that website creates would blow your mind, okay? Collegebasketballtransfers.com, ever-evolving update of everything going on in the transfer portal. Our Twitter feed, if you're not following CBB Transfers, it is blowing up all day, every day. Message boards, innuendo, my DMs, People that cover these individual teams, this is now part of what you have to do. You have to cover the portal and you have to know what your team is doing because so much of what next year's team is going to look like happens in April and May. And again, I think this has been great for the sport. It's been great for the players too, by the way. You think Remy Martin transferring to Kansas didn't help him in the big picture? He's got himself a national championship ring now. I'm like Aaron Donald after the Super Bowl pointing at my ring finger. Remy Martin is forever a national champion and completely changed the narrative of of who he is, how he's willing to play all that good stuff by going to Kansas. Brady Manick, four years at Oklahoma, and I know these two guys specifically, they had the extra year of COVID, so it's a little bit different. But Brady Manick's at Oklahoma. Really good player at Oklahoma. Then he goes to North Carolina. It's clear that in some way, shape, or form, and by the way, Lon Kruger, his former coach at Oklahoma, was a great coach. But it was clear that Hubert Davis tapped into something with Brady Manick that we did not know that he had. So it's been good for a lot of the players, and it's been great for interest in the sport of college basketball. We're going to do a segment on transfers in a minute. Those segments you guys love. I I, I did a ton of them last year. You guys couldn't get enough of them. YouTube can't get enough of it. And so I think the transfer portal has been great. You know what else I think has been great? I think NIL has been great. And listen, it's like the transfer portal. It's had unintended consequences. We know it was supposed to be for, for, you know, 
Johnny Football here, and I don't mean literally Johnny Football, Johnny Manziel, but it was supposed to be for the quarterback of the star team, and he'd do a, a car advertisement and get paid a couple hundred dollars, and we knew right away that wasn't what it was going to be. And so, yes, in a perfect world, I would love for Mark Emmer to actually do his job and try to put guardrails around it so we're not paying you know, $8 million for a high school quarterback, <laughs> topic we discussed the other day. I would love for that to happen. I don't think it will, but I also don't think we can only look at the negatives of NIL. Because there are some positives as well, and what I will be curious to see is this with NIL. This is the first year where players can come back knowing that they are going to make pretty good money as a college basketball player. And so obviously the best players are obviously going to go pro. Paulo Bancaro is going to go pro. Jabari Smith from Auburn has already declared. Tari Eason from LSU has already declared. They're, they're, the best players are going to go to the NBA, and they should go to the NBA. But what is equally as interesting is what happens with that next tier? What happens with that second rounder or undrafted guy that in the old days would have just gone pro, right? Because the old days, the setup was pretty straightforward. You either stayed in college and made nothing, or you went pro and made something. But what was something? A couple hundred thousand dollars, five hundred thousand dollars. Well, now, if we're being honest, there's a possibility that some of these guys could make that in college basketball next year. And so because of it, as I record here, subject to change always, but Oscar Sheepway seems to really be considering coming back to college basketball. Now, you know that by the time you guys listen, that could change. But he appears to be willing to come back, and he's willing to come back because he can make money. He can make money as being the national player of the year at one of the one to two biggest brands in college basketball in Kentucky. I talked about it the other day with the top 25. Drew Timmy is everything NIL is supposed to be, and he can very likely come back and make more money at Gonzaga than he can as a pro next year. I'll be curious to see what Johnny Juzang does at UCLA because my understanding is he's making a pretty decent amount of money. Hunter Dickinson at Michigan. I could go on and on and on and on and on. I'm not saying that if you're a top five, top 10, even top 15 pick, you are or should come back. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is, imagine if a couple of these guys do come back. Imagine how good it would be for college basketball if Oscar Shibwe came back next year. If a guy that everybody got to know, everybody, you know, likes, hates, I don't think anybody really hates Oscar Shibwe. He's an incredible human being or at least appears to be that way. I don't know him. But, um, you know, imagine opening night with college basketball next year. Imagine Champions Classic, which I don't actually think is on opening night, but imagine that with instead of a bunch of guys from Kentucky that you don't know, oh, it's Oscar Shibwe, the national player of the year who has decided to return. Same with Drew Timmy. Same with Hunter Dickinson. Same with Johnny Juzang. By the way, what about North Carolina? Again, always subject to change. By the time you listen to this, it might have changed. But Caleb Love became a household name. Armando Baycott became a household name. Imagine if those guys came back and make nice, uh, a nice living at North Carolina. Now they get to come back. They get to enjoy being a college kid. They make more money in Chapel Hill than they would being a pro. Not a bad life and not bad for college basketball. And so I don't want to belabor the point. I do want to get to the portal stuff because the portal stuff, the portal is humming, baby. But let me just tell you, you know, when I look at this entire situation, I sit there and say, these two rule changes, transfer portal, NIL, I would say for the most part, it has been a net positive for all of college basketball, and I am really excited about the future of this sport if we can convince an Oscar Shibwe, a Hunter Dickinson, a Drew Timmy, that next generation, whoever that may be, to come back, and obviously the transfer portal stuff uh, that has gone on so far. 
Speaking of Transfer Portal, uh, we got to get some portal news and notes. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a quick break, going to come back, and we are going to talk portal. Uh, I, I don't know if it's going to be every episode or every week or whatever, but I think we're going to have pretty regular portal segments here until the portal kind of dies down. It's a big topic. You guys care about it. There has been a lot. Uh, Arkansas, since I last recorded, has picked up three commits. Bryce Hopkins from Kentucky hit the portal. What does that mean? A couple guys appear to be on the verge of committing. We're going to talk about all that. We will be... Right back. All right, we're going to get back to the show in a minute. But before we do, it's time to welcome back our favorite sponsor and your ladies' favorite sponsor. Yeah, I'm talking about Manscaped, the worldwide leader in men's below-the-waist grooming. Fellas, have you started your spring cleaning yet? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. The carpets need cleaning, the drapes need dusting, and your lawn needs mowing. Again, fellas, don't pretend like you don't know what I'm talking about. And Manscaped has the best tools to get that lawn cleaned up. Time to clear out your winter bush and join the 4 million other men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com. Use promo code Torres for 20% off plus free shipping. And as I always say, ladies, that 20% off plus free shipping if you use the promo code Torres. Well, I'll tell you what, that works for you too. Manscaped has the full package you need for spring cleaning this year, the Performance Package 4.0. It's the only tool set you need to keep your boys looking and smelling fresh like daisies this spring. The Performance Package 4.0 includes the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, designed to get those tough-to-reach places, plus it's waterproofed, equipped with an LED light. You can bring it in the shower. You don't leave hair on the floor. Fellas, trust me, you're going to need that Lawnmower 4.0, which is part of the Performance Package 4.0. Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Weed Whacker Nose and Ear Hair Trimmer, proprietary skin-safe technology, all those little holes. They got You got to keep them clean, safe, no nicks, no cuts. The Weed Whacker Nose and Ear Hair Trimmer. Crop preserver, and crop, crop preserver and Crop Reviver Ball Deodorant and Toner. That's also part of the, perfe- the Performance Package 4.0. Fellas, you'll never look better. You'll never smell better down there. And ladies, you'll never be happier. Finish off your grooming routine with the Plow 2.0. This is a razor for your face because let's be honest, there is nothing more disgusting than using a razor on your face that you've been using in other parts of your body. And I will say this, on one very serious note, remember, April is also Testicular Cancer Awareness Month. Manscaped has partnered with the Testicular Cancer Society to bring awareness to men's health and early cancer detection. Very serious topic. Manscaped takes it very seriously, and Manscaped wants you to know uh, they are doing everything they can to work with the Testicular Cancer Society uh, to eradicate testicular cancer. So, fellas, remember, if you want to look fresh downstairs, if you want to smell fresh downstairs, if you want to be fresh downstairs, manscaped.com. Use promo code Torres. Fellas, ladies, manscaped.com, promo code Torres. Your balls will thank you. I will thank you. Now let's get back to the show. All right, everybody. I am back. Going to be back. Going to be back. Final segment of the show. Really do appreciate manscaped.com. Manscaped, use promo code Torres. 20% off plus free shipping with code Torres. Um, appreciate Manscaped, appreciate everything they do for us, do for you, but let's switch gears and let's wrap with a little portal talk. And so here's the deal with this show and what we're going to do here over the next couple weeks. Okay. Obviously, uh, you know, I just talked about it kind of as it pertains to, you know, my conversation with Sean Farnham earlier in the day on Thursday, but portal content is the stuff 
that you guys and girls seem to want to listen to, okay? I did this a lot last year at this time. The numbers went up. Uh, the YouTube views went up. So this is stuff that you guys and girls are interested in, and I think this is the new world of college basketball where in April, in May, in June, we essentially have college basketball free agency where we are now looking through rosters and trying to figure out, okay, who's staying, who's going, and what other puzzle pieces fit. And so what, what I plan on doing here over the next couple of weeks, I don't know if it's going to be every episode, every other episode, but today at the very least, I do want to talk portal because, again, it's the stuff that you guys and girls care about. Um, and I just kind of want to get you caught up on probably about three, four storylines in the portal since we last spoke, okay? So the first topic, have you seen what Eric Musselman is doing in Arkansas, okay? So we've talked, obviously, a lot about Arkansas on this podcast over the last month, month and a half. When you go 17-4 and four in your final 21 games or whatever, when you sign three McDonald's All-Americans, when you make an Elite Eight, we are going to talk about you. But then... When the rest of the college basketball world is just figuring out what they're doing in the portal here a, a, a week, less than a week, four or five days after the season ended, and Arkansas is just blowing everybody out of the water in terms of what they're doing in the portal right now. And that's not to say that your school isn't going to get their guys and, and your school is going to get who they want. What I'm telling you right now, though, is Arkansas has a mile head start on everybody else in the portal. Incredibly, they have Four players already committed in the portal. Uh, Trevon Brazil committed late last week. We talked about it a little bit on last Friday's show. And here is what has happened over the last couple days, okay? So on Wednesday, they got a commitment from a pair of twins from Rhode Island, two big kids, about six foot nine, six ten, Mikel and Makai Mitchell. And then on Thursday, they got a commitment from a 6'9 wing, Jalen Graham, who played at Arizona State and was a second-team All-Pac-12 honoree. And so I'm going to get into a couple of, of these guys, who they are, all that stuff, and then we'll get some other odds and ends from the portal. But in terms of what Arkansas is getting, let's start with the Mitchell twins, Mikel Makai Mitchell. And first of all, I did an extensive kind of breakdown of them on YouTube. So if you go on YouTube, you can find that content right there. But in terms of what they're going to bring to, to Arkansas – I believe they are going to bring something that Arkansas desperately needed and really the only major weakness that I saw at Arkansas this year, they simply didn't have a lot of rim protection, okay? And I think for 99% of the season, it wasn't exposed. But as you know, as you get deeper into the tournament, I always say, to win a national championship, you gotta beat six different teams from six different parts of the country playing six different ways. And the one thing that they really had no answer for was when they played Duke in the Elite Eight, and Mark Williams just destroyed, I don't want to say destroyed them, that's disrespectful to Arkansas, but Mark Williams was really, really, really good. Seven foot one, super long arms, and oh, by the way, he did that to everybody. I saw him play in Vegas against Gonzaga, he gave Drew Timmy fits, he gave Chet Holmgren fits. So that kid was awesome, but it was clear that Arkansas going into the offseason was not going to let a team with a seven foot one monster down low give them problems in the 2023 NCAA tournament. And that's what I believe these Mitchell twins solve, okay? So in terms of what they did at their previous stop, Mikel, 11 points, five rebounds, two and a half blocks per game at Rhode Island. Makai, 10 points, seven and a half boards per game. It's worth noting, these guys started their careers at Maryland. So one, I, I, I don't know enough to know. I assume that Coach Muss isn't going to take them if they're not eligible to play. I actually know that for a fact. So maybe they're grad transfers, maybe they're whatever. But they are going to play... And they are going to solve that issue down low. Size, physicality, athleticism, rim protection, that is important and that is what these guys bring. 
And what I would also say on top of that, they bring something else that is very important as it pertains to this particular Arkansas team. They are not guys that need plays run for them to score, okay? And I think this is an important part as we talk about the portal and as we wrap our heads around teams building more and more through the portal. I think we think always of the transfer portal as instant offense, star power, get the best players you possibly can. And one thing that I think Eric Musselman has done better than anybody that I've seen, Mark Adams from Texas Tech did an awesome job with this as well, not going after the biggest names, but going after the names that fit a specific role and a specific uh, you know, part of being a team. And so when I look at Arkansas in 2022-2023, I talked about it on last show. They have three McDonald's All-Americans coming in. Nick Smith is probably going to be a top five pick. I don't want to put any you know, burden on him, but I expect him to compete to be the leading scorer on that team. Anthony Black is a big guard, fellow McDonald's All-American that is going to have the ball in his hands. Jordan Walsh is really good as well. You simply don't need to bring in more guys that are going to score or need the ball or want the ball. And so by not bringing in, uh, by bringing in the Mitchell Twins, I just like the fact that these guys are energy, hustle, defense, rebounding, rim protection. And yeah, they're going to get their points around the basket because when you're six foot ten and you get a bunch of offensive rebounds, you're going to be able to put it back in. So those two are the two that committed on Wednesday. And then on Thursday, we had another, uh, another fun one as, uh, as uh, Jalen Graham, the 6'9 forward from Arizona State, committed to, to Arkansas. And he, to me, is a little bit more offensive, but he is kind of a nice puzzle piece, okay? He is a guy that, again, he's about 6'9". Uh, he's not a great shooter, but he's great about 10 to 15 feet in. He was a player that really blew up over the back end of the season. Uh, Arizona State was not very good, but late in the season, to his credit, the, the team started playing better, and it was basically when he started playing better. Late in the season, he, he scores double digits in 12 of 15 games, and so you look at why did Arizona State actually start to play decently, it was because this kid, uh, Jalen Graham, played really, really, really well uh, and really kind of took off. Like I said, he ended up finishing earning second team all Pac-12 honors, uh, and it was because that he was very good and very effective late in the season. Uh, 18 points versus Oregon, 19 points versus USC, one of the best defensive teams in college basketball, 16 points in a win over UCLA in triple overtime. So when you're putting up points against NCAA tournament caliber teams and, of course, some of the best defensive teams in college basketball, UCLA and USC, you know the guy can get buckets, and I think he will be a really good addition. Uh, a couple notes. One, like I said, I, you know, I, I don't. people are asking me, well, how do, how do all these puzzle pieces fit? I don't have a great answer, but you know what? This time last year, when, when Arkansas brought in a bunch of pieces, Stanley Amude, Audis, Tony, Chris Likes, I didn't know how those pieces fit at this time last year. Um, and so the one thing that I'm done doing is questioning what Eric Musselman plans on doing with all these guys because it always seems to work out by the end of the year. It's worth noting, of the last four NCAA tournaments played, Eric Musselman is coaching the second weekend in three of them, back-to-back -back Elite Eights at Arkansas, 2018 he had Nevada in the Sweet 16 so and, and by the way four NCAA tournaments overall and so I don't know how all the pieces fit but I know he's going to figure it out and I know he has a plan that maybe we can't see right now the other big question with Arkansas by the way some of you have asked um I don't believe that this means that Jalen Williams is definitively gone, okay? And so for people wondering, Jalen Williams, the, 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 the kid, the 6'9", 6'10", all-SEC forward, averaged 10 points, 9 boards per game. For some of you who aren't Arkansas fans, you know he's the kid that takes a lot of flops. I mean, this isn't the time or the place, or he takes charges, I guess. Some would say they were flops. 
But he on Monday declared for the NBA draft while keeping his options open. And what I would say is my understanding is just because Arkansas is taking a lot of big guys, it doesn't mean that Jalen Williams is officially going pro. Now, Jalen Williams is going to go through the process. He is going to see uh, what his NBA stock is. And if his, if his NBA stock is high enough, then he's probably going to go pro and probably should go pro. But I don't believe that because Arkansas has taken a bunch of big guys, that necessarily means um, that necessarily means that he is definitively going pro and not coming back. As of right now, there are 13 players on scholar, or 14 players on scholarship. Somebody is not going to come back, but there's a possibility that a guy at the end of the bench doesn't come back, that a freshman ass out of their scholarship. This is the new world that we live in. Guys are going to do what's best for them, and so the scholarship numbers will figure themselves out. I don't believe that this definitively means that Jalen Williams is leaving. I think he's going to test the process. I think he's going to see what works out best for him, and if it makes sense to come back to Arkansas, then he Will. Really quickly, some other news and notes from across college basketball. Let's go to Kentucky. Because while Arkansas is cleaning up, Kentucky's going to get their guys. Okay, so, so to be clear, Kentucky is going to get their guys. But something kind of weird happened to happened, in my opinion, at Kentucky on Thursday morning when one of their backup freshmen, Bryce Hopkins, entered the transfer portal. This was not a surprising piece of news. It had been speculated for months that he was probably going to leave, and he was a guy that, to be blunt, uh, did not have a huge role on this year's team. He definitely showed flashes in limited opportunities, but former four-star, six foot six, six foot seven, uh, you know, a, a guy that was really talented coming out of high school, 13 points against LSU, had a great game late in the season, and then we were never really heard from him again. And what I would say in general about Bryce Hopkins, and, and really just the whole situation is this. Obviously, because of my background, I covered Kentucky for a long time, specifically with Kentucky Sports Radio. I know the program well. I think I know the fan base well. Um, and what I would say is, and we got a lot of Kentucky fans who are listening, so please feel free to tweet at me, chirp at me, whatever. I don't care. I was genuinely surprised by the reaction to the Bryce Hopkins stuff. Now, I know it's not a great time to be John Calipari. And I know John Calipari, there's a lot of questions and there's a lot of frustration with a lot of things that he has done. But I was surprised there seemed to be a very vocal group of Kentucky fans that were very frustrated with the Bryce Hopkins situation at Kentucky. What I would say is, I mean, I'm not surprised. And it goes back to something. I don't know if you guys and girls remember me saying this. But in the middle of the season, Kentucky played at Kansas. It's obviously well known now because obviously Kansas won the national championship. And Kentucky just absolutely destroyed Kansas, okay? And Kentucky destroyed Kansas because all of the pieces that they had brought in at this time last year were really clicking at the highest level. Kellen Grady was playing great. Ty Ty Washington was healthy at that point. Severe Wheeler looked good. Um, Oscar Shibway was obviously awesome. He's a, a, a you know player of the year a million times over. But during that game, I remember saying something, and I got a little pushback for it, but whatever. I looked at all those older players walking into a tough environment in Fog Allen Fieldhouse and walking out with a W with Ty Ty Washington, who was a freshman. And I said something that I, I thought about when I saw the Bryce Hopkins news. I said, and you can find the tweet, if I was John Calipari, if I was John Calipari, I'd be done recruiting anything other than this. I either want the older veteran college player via the transfer portal or I want the top 10, top 15, five-star, definitive, can't-miss recruit in high school. I don't want, what I do not want, is a fringe five-star, a, a high four-star, a low four-star 
to come to Kentucky as a freshman. Because when you get the older players, this is what happens. They come in, they're appreciative of the opportunity, they're playing at the school that they probably dreamed of playing and never thought they'd have a chance, and they are so grateful to be there. Then you got the five-star McDonald's All-American that can come in right away and be an absolute difference maker. What you don't want, though, is the high school player who isn't good enough to come in and play right away and really has no context for what's going on. Because if you played for four years at Davidson or, you know, wherever, you come to Kentucky and you're incredibly grateful. And this isn't to say Bryce Hopkins isn't grateful, okay? By all accounts, he's a great kid, all that good stuff. But at the same time, these kids want to play right away, and I don't blame them. And so when you're bringing in a freshman that is not ready to contribute right away, that is what is always going to happen in this situation. It is always going to set up to a situation where you have a kid that in almost every single case, if he's not playing as a freshman, he's going to want to go somewhere else where he can play. And I saw my buddy Jack Pilger, maybe we'll get Jack on at some point this summer to talk about some of this stuff, but I saw Jack Pilgrim put out the list of schools that could be interested in Bryce Hopkins. It's Providence. It's Illinois. It's places that need a guy like him to come in and play right away. Kentucky is never going to be that school for low five stars and high four stars. And if they are, it's not going to work out very well as we saw two years ago during COVID. And so I was genuinely surprised by the reaction. I thought, you know, I'm not saying you're wrong, Kentucky fans, but I just thought we all kind of had an understanding. If a kid comes in as a freshman, if he's not good enough to go pro and if he's not playing, it's going to be hard to keep him. Now, I wish he stayed. For the sake of Kentucky fans, I think he could be really good. But when you look at the Kentucky roster going into next year, uh, depending on a lot of different things, he might still be buried on the bench, and it's hard to blame him for leaving. We just talked about Oscar Sheboy. There's a chance Oscar Sheboy could come back next year because of NIL and everything that's going on. Keon Brooks, I know he's testing the waters. He could come back. Jacob Toppin, he could come back. And so there was no clear path to playing time for Bryce Hopkins, just like there's going to be no clear path to playing time if they replace him with a freshman. I saw the kid, uh, Norchad O'Meara, I saw my buddy Matt Jones tweet out, or tweet, yeah, he did tweet out, that this kid is a possible replacement. I don't think you need to fill the spot. If Oscar's coming back, if uh, Jacob Toppin's coming back, if Keon Brooks is coming back, I don't think you need to fill a spot. I don't think you need a fourth uh, power forward wing guy when you already have it. So... What I would say is I was surprised by the reaction. I know a lot of people are frustrated with John Calipari, but this is the world you live in. You bring in a top 40, top 50 kid that's not ready to play right away. You got players in front of him. He's going to look for other options. And the fact that he's looking at Providence or Illinois leads me to believe if he was this, let me put it this way, and then we'll wrap, we'll get to some other odds and ends. If he was that good, if he was that big of a difference maker, Gonzaga would have reached out, Duke would have reached out, North Carolina would have reached out. I think he's a good college player. I wish him the best. I don't think Kentucky fans should be losing sleep over it, though. That's my personal opinion. A couple other odds and ends from across the portal here over the last couple days. Uh, One, Alabama, a fourth player, entered the transfer portal. This was the first one that was really surprising, okay? And I haven't talked to Nate Oates. uh, You know, I, I actually think I saw him at the Final Four, like, in the distance, but I was on the phone. He was on the phone, whatever. Um, I haven't talked to Nate Oates, but, but it was clear after the season he was very unhappy with some things, and I don't blame him. I do not blame him. If you listen to his press conference after they lost in the NCAA tournament, he referenced the fact that they had had some shoot-around prior to the game, the day before the game, and the only player that showed up was Javon Quinterly. And so you start to wonder why the team struggled. It seemed like they had some maybe some guys in the program that, I don't know, weren't the right fit. I'm not going to speculate. I'm not going to judge. But it was clear that he was unhappy with them. I bring it up to say, since the season ended, Alabama has lost four players to the transfer portal. Three were 
absolutely expected. Deshaun Holt, uh, Keon Ambrose Hilton, and Alex Tishu, I think is how you say his name. None of them really played. They were all end-of-the-bench players. Deshaun Holt uh, was actually posting one game. He was suspended. He was posting on TikTok. And so I get the sense that Nate Oates was not very upset with the three of them leaving. Jawan Gary, though, was an interesting one because Jawan Gary, from everything I saw, I thought he played really, really, really hard. Now, I could be wrong, Alabama fans, and I haven't talked to Nate Oates about this, and I don't have all the answers. But this was a kid that early in the season played really well. I think he got hurt, hit in the face, something like that, and his play fell off. Uh, The Houston game, which was a really important game for Alabama's resume, 19 points, 4 rebounds. He was the guy down low that was absolutely banging. Uh, They played Davidson at one point. He had 15 points and 8 rebounds in that game, 19 points against Florida. So that was the one that I was genuinely surprised to see in the portal. Um, Maybe Nate Oates had other plans. Maybe he had other plans. Maybe he just didn't think it was the right fit. This is the world that we live in. He's originally from South Carolina, so maybe he could go back to South Carolina. Maybe he'd go back to Clemson, whatever. Right now, there's no real reports. There's nothing like that. But I just bring it up to say that was a real shocker to me in terms of a kid that entered the portal that I wasn't expecting. I would have assumed that this was one of the guys that Nate Oates wanted to bring back but apparently he's on his way. A couple other notes. Uh, First of all, I should mention, by the way, um, I have my ranking of the top 20 guys in the portal up at AaronTorresOnline.com. Maybe on Sunday or Monday, I'll do a segment on the best players available. Uh, I don't think this year's group, the the front end, I don't think is as important, as as great as last year. Last year, we had James Akinjo. We had Walker Kessler. We had Remy Martin, who obviously played a big role in the national championship game. But I bring it up to say there are some really good players. Aaron Torres online, I have my ranking of the top 25 players in the portal right now. Uh, and a couple of notes on, on a couple of them. One, Courtney Ramey, really good guard from the University of Texas, okay? This year, he kind of got lost in the numbers, a numbers crunch. But last year, when Shaka Smart was still there, 12 and a half points, 40% three-point shooting. And here's the other thing, about three and a half, four assists per game. So you talk about a veteran college guard. He will be a fifth-year senior next year. A veteran college guard who can handle the ball, can shoot, can play off the ball, can play on the ball. Now, he's not a point guard, but he can make plays. You put the ball in his hand, he can make plays. That is a kid, as soon as I saw he enter the portal, I said, he is going to have some major interest, and he did. John Rothstein put it out early on Wednesday or Thursday, I guess it was. Uh, UConn's reached out. Kentucky has reached out. Gonzaga has reached out. A bunch of other schools. He, to me, instant impact guy. We talked about how, you know, Eric Musselman, all these coaches are looking for pieces that fit. That's a guy you can put in your starting backcourt tomorrow, and he can get you 20 points if you need to. So he is hearing from everybody. Uh, I'm trying to think of the other kind of big names. You know, Landers Nolly, who played the last two years at Memphis, Really interesting story there. He began his career at Virginia Tech. You know who was the head coach of Virginia Tech when he started there? Buzz Williams. Buzz Williams leaves. He stays for one year at Virginia Tech and then goes to Memphis. He played pretty well at Memphis. This year was the weird numbers thing at Memphis. I do think he was hurt a little bit by Imani Bates early, trying to figure out how he fit. Well, guess what? He played great at the end of the year. He is now in the portal. The buzz is, no pun intended, that he's going to follow Buzz Williams to Texas A&M. Visit set up there for next week, um, and we'll see what happens from there. Additionally, this is one to keep an eye on. Brandon Murray, really good player. We talked about LSU last week, did a separate segment on YouTube about LSU. There's some stuff going on there. Every single player from last year's team is in the portal, except for the guys that declared for the draft. Uh, Brandon Murray, really talented player. 
He is down to three schools. Uh, what was it? It was Tennessee, Georgetown, and somebody else. I can't even remember. But he averaged 10.5 points per game last season at, uh, at LSU, was an all-SEC freshman team. But he is down to three schools. I believe Illinois was the third one. My understanding is it's Georgetown or bust. The former LSU assistant coach, Kevin Nickelberry, is now at Georgetown. Brandon Murray is from Maryland. Uh, my understanding, we'll find out over the next couple of days if I'm right or not, is that this is kind of a formality. He's taken the other visits, but he will very likely end up at Georgetown. Whew. All right, I think that's it for this episode of the Air Tour Sports Podcast. We came a long way from J.J. Redick and Kyle Tucker to Transfer Portal News. The one thing I would say, by the way, before I get out of here, and I'll remind you guys at the beginning of the show next, next, next episode, didn't think I was going to have J.J. Redick to respond to. But we're going to try to stick to three episodes a week if that's what you guys want. But part of this is going to be on you guys. What do you want to talk about? Hit me up. Hit me with questions. Transfer Portal, what do you want? from this show over the next couple months. Obviously, if something crazy happens, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get to whatever it is. If Tom Brady re-retires, I'm um, recording here as Tiger Woods looks awesome in the opening round of the Masters. Yeah, I'll probably talk Tiger for a little bit on Sunday if Tiger ends up winning the Masters. But uh, I bring it up to say a lot of this is on you guys. Send in questions, send in topics, send in your thoughts, and we'll get to as many of them as we can uh, before we get out of here. But with that said, I do think it is time for us to get out of here for this specific show. By the way, we might also just have some shorter shows, right? Maybe there's one great topic and we hit on that and a couple other news and notes. But anyway, we're out of here for today. So before we get out of here, I want to remind you, please subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram. By the way, make sure you're following the YouTube channel. I've been doing a lot of YouTube-only content that's been doing very well. We had a uh, Shade and Sharp video a few weeks ago that did very well. We have a uh, Arkansas basketball video that's doing well right now, all that good stuff. So make sure that you are uh, following there on, uh, on, on YouTube. Uh, that is really it, though. That's all for today's show. I am going to get out of here. I actually got a, a dinner thing to get to, no big deal. Uh, but with that said, just want to say one quick thing. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick who called me an inappropriate name, but it's okay. We're still best friends. JJ, call me. Let's get on this pod. Let's hash this out like men. I'll be back later this week. I'll be back next week, party people. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.